We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's, it's message board time, Ryan, and so we're going to just dive right in. We've got some super chats here at the very top. Uh, if you want to go ahead and read these bad boys, and we'll get it rocking and rolling here. Sounds good. First one is from Rob Osgood. Rob, thank you so much, as always, for the super chat. You're right. Just win. Prove your worth on the field. I hope when Notre Dame plays Ohio State this year, they have Notre Dame versus Miami attitude. <laughs> just dominate and show the world. Rest will take care of itself, in my opinion. Yes, Notre Dame Miami in eighty eight ninety, not not two thousand seventeen. Let's make oh. sure we get the right Notre Dame. You know, maybe two thousand twelve uh, would even yeah. be even better. Uh, obviously, you know it's funny, Ryan. My wife bought me a Catholics First Convict shirt, and I just got mm-hmm. it today, this morning. Nice. So she had never watched the show Catholics First Convicts. Yeah, and I made the comment to her like, you know, I always wish I would have had one of those. So apparently, there's this company that still sells them in the original form, like with the the unfinished business in the front and Catholic versus convicts in the back. So she bought me one nice. of those. I thought that was hilarious. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that framed and hung up in the man cave down here in the office. So I can always be looking at it right here while nice. we're doing our show. I, Thank I, you for the I, super good, chat, Rob. Good note on not 2017 though. I've, I've yes. tried to block that game yes. out of my mind and it still yes. has not been blocked yet. So absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We had another super chat from Raymond Harton. Raymond, thank you so much. Just for support, can't wait for the season to start. Have a great 4th of July, IB Nation. You as well, Raymond. Thank you so much for that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'll get this next one, Ryan. This is from Wade Garrett because he says, thank you for the Super Chat, Wade, but he said, nice interview, Ryan. Always a great job. Yes, thank absolutely. You so much. I appreciate I'm going to take this one too, Ryan. Just be Look, yeah. guys, James O'Reilly, I appreciate the Super Chat. I do. But we're not going to get into conversations about coaches moving on after a season that hasn't even started yet. My focus right now without Washington is solely on go out there and coach the heck out of the defensive line this year. That, that's all I care about. I don't care about anything else other than that. That's out of my control. It's out of your control. I'm not going to sit here and worry about a short list for a coach that I care about what he's going to do out there do this fall. That's all that matters. If Marcus Freeman ever decides to move on from Al Washington or if Al Washington decides to move on somewhere else, then we'll address who his replacement might be. But right now, Al Washington is a defensive line coach at Notre Dame. We're going to praise him for the things he did well, like we did about the job he did with the the defensive lineman this spring, the job he did with Logan Thomas, the job he did with Cole Mullins. And we'll criticize him with the things that he deserves to be criticized for, like Justin Scott, like the Owen Wafel decision. And when he does what he needs to do and things don't work out, and it's, you know, 
it is what it is. That's just one of the breaks. Like Elijah rushing, Keon Keeley will say that too. Uh, yeah. We'll always give him a fair shake. But right now, the focus is on the job he does this season. That's all that matters. I'm not. We don't get into the whole fire this coach. The fire. Look, I've been fired as a coach before. It sucks having to go home and tell your wife, "Hey, sorry, I know you finally got comfortable here, but you know what I mean." And and I just I know it's easy for people on a message board to say, "Fire this guy, fire that guy, fire the other guy." We don't do that here. Number one. I, I just I don't I think it lacks tact, number one. And number two, whether we think a person should get fired or not is irrelevant because we have no say on it. And so we're just not going to waste our time with that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to be disrespectful you to James and ignore your super chat. And we've had other people. And the reason also partly I wanted to bring it up is because we've had other people ask it. Guys, we just don't do that here. We don't call for coaches to get fired. When we say a change needs to be made, uh, we're very clear. Change doesn't always mean a coach gets fired. Kerry, Coom, Kerry Cooks got off to a bit of a rough start recruiting at Notre Dame, too. Brian Kelly had a heart-to-heart with him. We'll just leave it at that. And his recruiting got better, right? So uh, that's the reality of it, and that's what that's what the focus is going to be on. But we're not going to sit here and talk about they need to fire him and who would you as soon as they fire him. The season hasn't even started yet. Like, let's get through the season first and see how it goes. Because if Riley Mills goes out there and does what I think he's capable of doing and Jordan Patelho balls out, and Javante Jean-Baptiste has a big year, and the young guys are getting coached up, and all of a sudden, Notre Dame's defensive line is elite. Do you really want to go out there and fire the coach that that led to that? Is that really what? No. Fix the recruiting part. Fix the recruiting part. Figure out a way to get him to put in the work for all recruits that he does for the Elijah Rushings and the Cole Mullinses and the Logan Thomases, guys that have praised the job that Coach Washington did. That's the issue with him. It's cons- it's weird. It's a consistency. It's like you totally bungled this one, and you did a great job here. If you would have recruited, here's here's the reality. I'll, I'll put it out there right now. If Al Washington would have recruited Justin Scott the way that he recruited Elijah Rushing, I think Justin Scott's in this class right now. I definitely think Malachi Williams might be in this class. I feel really good about the potential of Malachi Williams being in the class right now. If you would have recruited him the way you recruited Elijah Rushing, right? So it's yeah. it's those issues. It's I know he can do it. That's partly what makes it so frustrating is because you don't see him do it in other situations, Ryan. And that's that's the thing that just, I mean, honestly, just kind of drives me nuts. If he would have recruited Jason Moore the way that he recruited Elijah Rushing, I think Jason Moore's in this class. And then I don't really care if they lost it. I mean, I care if they lost Justin Scott, but they're fine because they'd have Jason Moore in last year's class. Yeah. So that that it just, it just fix it. Be more consistent. And one of the questions that we had, Ryan, and we'll just we'll just kind of talk about it now because it's it's relevant to now because I think it's fair for to address. Beef Eater asks, goes Brian and Ryan, what exactly is Al Washington doing wrong? Does he just not connect with these kids? Does he pick his nose too much? Is he distracted by by and by what bad breath? So there's some there's something that happened with Justin Scott that we're just not going to get into publicly. And if we do share it, it'll be around signing day that we'll get into. Okay, but let's address this, Ryan. What does he do wrong? It really comes down to a lack of consistency, right? I mean, right. Ryan, you, you've had there will be kids that will say, "Yeah, I, I don't talk to him very much," or "Hey, he talked to me." It'll be, "Hey, you know, I hear from him every week, and then we check on up on the kid of what well, I means." Yeah, I haven't heard from him in a while. You know, it right. just there's this weird lack of consistency where he'll crush one recruitment, and it's like there was a time when Ryan would call me and be like, "Dude, I talked to Marquise Lightfoot." And he talks to Al Washington more than he talks to Justin Scott. Oh, easy. Like, like every other like, or day. Excuse me, or Al Washington talks to Marquise Lightfoot more than he talks to Justin Scott, a guy that the rest of the staff was like, we're not pushing for that guy. Make that make sense for me. So it's stuff yeah. like that, right? It's it's a la- it's it's almost like, you know, a little kid has ADD. He just can't focus yeah. on one thing. That's like Al Washington on the recruiting trail. He just can't focus. It's just inconsistent. It's just there's a situation the other day where where there's some – Something had gone on and just forgot to tell somebody. So you know, it's just there's all these weird things that you hear, and it's just like, does this dude not? Is this dude not able to concentrate? Is he not able to focus? Like, what's going on here? Because the lack of consistency in communication, uh, it's like the guy that, like, who's this guy? Like, I don't know who this guy is because when you're handling this recruitment, it's it's like a completely different person. Yeah, it's, it's like a it's it's the strength. I've never seen a coach like that because usually when a coach isn't good, like Al Golden, Al Golden just doesn't work. It's as simple as that. He just doesn't work. There's an apathy there when it comes to recruiting that's mind boggling that you can be that way, but we can identify it. It's very easy to identify because right. when right. Al Golden actually puts in work as a recruiter, it's pretty good. He's good. He's good. Yeah. He just doesn't work. 
yeah. without Washington, it's like, I don't know how he's going to handle this recruitment. Is he, cause he, he's so schizophrenic when it comes to it. That's the big thing for me. And then he just makes a lot of unforced errors because of that lack of focus and, and ability to just consistently day after day, do his job. It, it was, it's really, I mean, it is really weird. I mean, just kind of thinking back to some of the conversations, Brian, it's like, I even put it like this folks, like, there's levels to how you recruit as far as, you know, your top priority kids and then the kids that are secondary and then a little bit more of the bottom of the board kids. Right. And obviously you would think, and this should be how it is, is that the priority kids are the ones that you're talking to the most. Right. And then, then it kind of trickles down from there, but you'll have kids like in the top group where you're like one kid you'll hear, he'll hear from them every other day. Right. And then there'll be other kids that you only hear from them once every couple weeks or once a month type of situation. And I fully understand that kids are different, right? There's some, there's some recruits that you don't need to micromanage as much, right? Like you don't need to talk to him as much. Like Charles Jagasaw was a kid, right? Where it's like, or he said you could talk to him once a time a month. Cause like Charles doesn't need that, right? Like he doesn't need that constant conversation, right? Like some kids are like that, but some of the kids that you are not consistent enough with are the ones that you have lost, right? And I, because so to be feeder's question, I think it's very fair. It has nothing to do with connections with kids. I have never heard a single recruit when they speak about Al Washington say, like, ah, I just don't really connect with them, right? Like, I, I just, it's not, he's not, you know, he's not really engaging or it's always very positive as far as his personality, how he talks to them. It's just the Brian's point. It's like you can't have one priority kid hear from him every other day and then another priority kid hear from every once every two weeks, right. once every two two times each month. Like you just it can't happen that way. And it does for whatever reason. So yeah, it's it's definitely the consistency factor. I think that's the easily the main one. I've never smelled his breath, so I don't know if that's part of it. I, yeah, I mean I mean I get I get where you're coming from. I, I do. I I do. It's just it's a it's a it's puzzling. Like I've literally never seen anything like it. It it's odd. It's, it's really, really odd. odd. It's really odd. We had a super chat from Cody Stanfield. Thank you so much, Cody. Said missed on Justin Scott. Where do we go from here? You know, that's not something we really addressed during the show, Ryan. And and I think the yeah. biggest thing is is it's similar to the approach on the on the receiver. It's like just be patient. You know, it's not a great defensive tackle class. That's that's also so partly what made Justin Scott such a big recruit is like Justin Scott's not Keon Keeley. He's not. Right. It's it's like I know he's ranked in the top. There's a big difference between Justin Scott and Keon Keeley. I think Justin Scott is a five star player because he's got five star talent. He doesn't necessarily produce like a five star yet, but with good coaching, he can get there. There's right. no question. The fact that he's local, he's from Chicago, he's a, at a at a private school, a Catholic school, all that stuff mattered. But the other part of it too, Ryan, is it's a bad defensive tackle class, yeah. and a couple of the kids that Notre Dame liked. Um, weren't fits or couldn't get into school. And when there's not a lot of numbers anyway, and then a couple other kids they liked are NIL kids. I mean, just flat out, not even hiding it. I, I won an NIL payout. It is what it is. So you move on from those kids. There's not a lot of places to go when it comes to replacing him in the class. There's nobody on his level. So again, go out. You know, there's a couple things they could maybe do that we won't get into, but Go out and put a good product on the field. See if you can strike up some interest with some other players. But what I would not do, Ryan, is not panic right. and say, hey, look, we're going to go out there and we because we got to get a fifth guy. No, just recruit, the, just keep the guys you have. And then if you can yeah. add a, a comparable talent, go get them. You, you've already screwed this up enough by dropping Owen Wafel, right? That was bad enough because if he was still in the class, they're fine, you know? Focus on the 2025 class. If you need, if the depth becomes an issue, Go out and get a portal kid. I mean that, or or some sleeper with a high ceiling down the stretch. Because circling back to guys like Benedict Ume, it's kind of like you know you look at him like man, you know I, I wasn't super high on that kid, but he's better than nobody. I think I said that to you last night. But at the end of the day, you don't just take a kid that you don't think can play. I mean that that's the other part of it. So be patient. Let the process play out. You know, consider the portal. You know, maybe there's a a. a Maybe there's a kid like the the cat from Western Michigan that went to Florida State that you can maybe do a better Brayden job Fisk. of next year, you know, and, yeah. and get that kid, something like that. What was the kid's name again, Brian? Brayden Fisk. Brayden right. Fisk. Yeah. So, and the other part, too, is like the like the receiver position, you're going to lose Howard Cross after this year. Yep. You might lose Riley Mills after this year. But other than that, everybody you have at defensive tackles, very young. 
and you you just brought in a defensive end class that's probably going to have at least one of those guys that's going to move inside. Devin Houston comes back from injury. Gabriel Rubio still has multiple years of eligibility left. Jason Onye has multiple years of eligibility left. Donovan Heine still has four years of eligibility left. Tyson Ford has four years of eligibility left. You have Devin Houston who'll have four years of eligibility left, maybe five. And then if one of the defensive ends in the 23 class moves inside, he's going to have years left. And then you've got Sean Silviano. And then I still think there's a chance that Bryce Young eventually outgrows it either. But what I don't want to hear is if Bryce Young does outgrow at big end and becomes a great three technique, well, this is why – you're fine missing no you should have had both right i mean that's the yeah i can't stand that but uh the point is there's options they don't need to panic uh and just take a guy but because there really aren't a lot of those guys in this class i mean there's other guys like oh maybe they get tj Lindsay. tj Lindsay's not justin scott right he, he's no. not good and, player though yeah right very good player and notre dame liked him but he just was looking for other things you know what i mean that that notre dame's just not going to play that game so and and that's fine. TJ's a good kid from everything you've told me, Ryan. It just, oh, yeah, I like you know, TJ. Yeah. Kids are just – and it's okay. It's not a bad thing. If a kid's like, hey, I want an NI pound, okay. At least he's honest about it. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. I have no ill will towards that. As long as you're straight up with people about it. Yeah. So I, I don't really know, Ryan, if there is anywhere to go from here other than just focus on putting a good product on the field and tell Chad Bowden and the recruiting staff to keep their eyes open for some sleeper that's going to break out. You know, if you can find a Brandon Hillman type guy or a – a Caleb Smith type guy in the defensive tackle position. That's about all I can say to do at this point. That that's where I would go with it because I don't know if you noticed, know Brian, but like a lot of the interior defensive linemen in 2024 also are like tweener kids, you know, where it's like it's a lot of 265 pound kids that you're rejecting to eventually yep. be that guy. And it's like you already have a bunch of those kids, right? Like you already have one. The the problem with Justin Scott was not only is he a five star level talent from a raw skills perspective. He's also 305 pounds, right? Like that that was the biggest sell. It's like that kid's 6'4, 6'5, 305 pounds. Like there's just not a lot of those guys walking around in the 2024 class. I mean, outside of like Aiden Breland from you know out in California from modern day, there's just not a right. lot of those guys this year where you're like, that is what a defensive tackle looks like. Like that's how you draw it up in a lab. I mean, yes, Edric Houston and all those cats are really good, but like even Edric Houston's like 6'3, 255 right now. Like they're not the size profile that you would necessarily are trying to find in this class for a guy like a Justin Scott. So I would like, I would like to see how things develop as well. Not necessarily even sleeper. Like I would just like to see a couple of these kids that are even, you know, on the board at all, just kind of see how their body fills out this off season and mm-hmm. how they look like early in the season. Cause I, you know, taking another 265 pounds, maybe interior player is not really helping you in my opinion, cause you're yeah. going to get too many of those tweener kids at some point. I want to I want to put this out there too. David Jones says after what happened with Scott, I sincerely hope that this wasn't a case of OSU negatively recruiting against Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman and James Aronitis are considered best friends, so I hope that wasn't something there. I, I have heard there's a lot of staffs that de- do negative recruiting. I've heard very little of, from this Ohio State staff yeah. about negative recruiting. They don't have to. No. Like here's the thing, guys. Pointing out that you're better than Notre Dame in this area, this that's not negative recruiting. That's the facts. We put way more guys in the NFL than Notre Dame. That's not negative recruiting. That's called the truth. Hey, yeah. we were a point away from, you know, we were two points away from beating Georgia last year. The last time Notre Dame was in a the playoff, they got beat by 17 and it wasn't that close. That's not negative recruiting. That's the truth. And, and Justin right? Scott talked a lot about Larry Johnson. It's like, exactly. Hey, Ohio State is selling is... Ohio State, Ryan. That's right. what they're doing. They don't need to negatively recruit Notre Dame. They are selling, hey, here's who we are. That's who Notre Dame is. You choose. They don't need to do that. And, and I have not yet heard a single scenario from any recruit. Maybe you have, Ryan. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Where that's happened, I've I've heard of coaches who were who are no longer on the staff now, but coaches who used to be on the staff that would do more negative recruiting towards Ohio State than they than than Ohio State did to Notre Dame because they had to because they they don't have they don't have a better product to sell. And so, no, I haven't heard that at all because they don't need to. Like that that would be an unfo- like Notre Dame lost a recruit in the last couple of years from a coach who is no longer here and he never coached for Marcus Freeman. So, uh, you know, just, but they lost a kid because the Notre Dame assistant was negative, talking negative about the Ohio state assistant trying to tear him down. And the kid was like, you know, I was getting ready to commit to you, but I love that guy. And what you're saying about him is false. And so that kid ends up not being really turned off by that Notre Dame coach. And he commits to the school that the Notre Dame coach was negatively recruiting against. Stupid. Right. Like, dude, you didn't need to do that. 
You're Notre Dame. Ohio State's the same way. The Most of the negative recruiting I see is from Southern schools. That's mo- where most of the negative recruiting comes from. And, and, the, and it's with Southern kids. You don't want to go up there. It's too cold. It's you know, Then they'll make up, you know, the academics are too hard. You can't succeed there. You know, those coaches are this. There's this. There's those. And then they'll negatively recruit. I I don't I can't tell you the last time I heard about Notre, Ohio State negatively recruiting against Notre Dame. Yeah. And and them saying, hey, here's our plan for you. And and we we have a much greater track record of putting guys in the NFL is not negative recruiting. Look, negative recruiting is not speaking the truth. You may not like it. It may make you feel negative, but it's not negative. It's the truth. And so uh they just got beat. Simple as that. But I, I just want to make sure because I've had heard a couple other people say that. I've heard nothing about Ohio State being negative towards Notre Dame. They were just selling either. just selling their product, and that's all they needed to do yep. at the end of the day. All right. We had our next question from Jordan Schreiber. What's up, Jordan? If Notre Dame misses on Kingston, Villamo, Asa, and Bradley Shaw, how do you feel about defensive recruiting then? <laughs> Why don't you go and take first shot at that, Ryan, because it's, it's not uh, good. Jordan, yeah, I mean, it's not good. I mean, that's exactly what, like, what was in my mind, Jordan. Like, it, it's, it was one of those situations, defensive recruiting-wise, where you had several cogs that were about to get knocked down this offseason, right? You talked about Justin Scott. So you talked about now with Kingston. You talked about Bradley Shaw. You talked about maybe flipping Caleb Beasley down the road. Davis Andrews, obviously, at safety is another kid that we've, we've talked about in the past a ton. And if you would have – hit three out of five of those, you felt pretty okay about the class, right? If you hit more than that, it's like you feel very good about the class. Now you're in a situation when with Justin Scott off the board, you have to rethink what defensive line recruiting is going to be the rest of the way because I still think it's necessary that eventually you do get another interior defensive lineman to go with Sean Cibolano. I think that would be the best possible scenario. But if you miss on Kingston and Bradley Shaw, now you're looking and saying interior defensive line class is is – one, it's 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 weak in terms of depth. You only have one player, and you need it to get better and more impactful in that in the interior defensive line. Mm-hmm. Linebackers, if you miss on Kingston and Bradley Shaw, and that's a below average linebacker group in that situation, and you're already a below average safety group. So yeah, cornerback is good. Edge is very good so far in the 2024 class for Notre Dame. But then you're talking about three out of five of those groups potentially being average to below average, and that's not obviously not where you need to be if you're Notre Dame. I would somewhat – I'm going to somewhat disagree with you a little bit, Ryan. I understand the sentiment of where you're coming from, but I just have a hard time looking at a safety class with Bronte Johnson and Kennedy Erleckers below average. Now, if you're going to talk about, to me, there more than half of the schools in college football would gladly take that group. I think for me, where my criticism comes down to, it's not good enough if you're talking about competing for a championship. If you're going to say, if you take the 10 best teams in college football – and does this linebacker class stack up with them? I'd say no. So if you were to like maybe narrow the focus of who you consider, like if you're ranking the top 10 to 20 and it's below, you know, below average there, no. But you can't – to me, I can't accept the notion that it's it's average related to the rest of college football because there's well, – well, but it's, two- it's average to Notre Dame standards though. Cor- correct, Dame, correct. Right. Like, okay, yeah. then, then that's yeah. fair. And and to me, the, so we're, we're kind of on the same page. I just kind of felt like below average just came across as too strong because – But oh, if no, you're no, talking not, about not the below Notre Dame average standard, to 132, okay, well, below average fair. Notre Dame, what you're then trying to pretty much for. on the same page, right? Because it's not good enough, right? I mean, if you lo- – like I like Bodie Cahoon's upside. I really like Teddy Rezac's upside. But again, what is a championship caliber linebacker class? It's Jordan Patelho. I mean, excuse me, it's Josh Burnham, Jalen Sneed, Nolan Ziegler, and Junior Two Alamaka. It's Drake Bowen, Jaden Osbury, and Preston Zinter. Right? That's what a championship caliber linebacker class looks like. If you strike out on all your top guys, I like Bodie. I like Teddy. They need to be like two and three, three and four, not one and two, to your point. And so when it taught when you talk about is this closing the gap? No, it's widening the gap between those top. Even with Bronte in the class, I like Kennedy Erlacher more than most, Ryan. But all along, I've said Kennedy needs to be your third safety. Right now, to a degree, I would argue that they were at safety recruiting for all the issues with Chris O'Leary. Again, forget the process and just look at the end result they were kind of stung a little bit by something that was outside of their control. Because if they get Bronte Johnson, Kennedy Erlacher, and Davis Andrews, I'm loving this safety class. 
And I think that they're, I think they've got a great shot to get Davis Andrews, but he's just going to reclassify to 26. I don't know what your thoughts would be on that, Ryan, but I'd love that safety class. Now I would say, don't get confused by the process still being flawed because you know what I mean? Like the uh, different parts of it. But, but my whole point is it's not good enough that needs to get fixed. And it's below the standard that Marcus Freeman has set at line. Marcus Freeman set the standard at linebacker recruiting flat out. This is the standard because linebacker recruiting had been struggling at Notre Dame for years. They'd have like a couple classes here and there that would kind of salvage them, you know, a little bit. And, but, but overall it was just way too inconsistent. Right. Then you come out and Marcus Freeman says, no, no, this is what you're capable of doing recruiting linebackers at Notre Dame and his replacement at the position has not lived up to that standard. And right. so to me, that that it's got to get better. Now, if you get Kingston Viliyama Asa to go with Bodie and Teddy, I'm good with that. I am. That's a good class. Because yeah. it you 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 ended up with a pretty good class. Now Teddy and, and Bodie can be where you want them to be, which is you know, below a Kingston. But man, now the ceiling, there's a little less pressure on them. The ceiling is is higher for those guys. Kingston's one of the highest floor linebackers you've landed in a couple of years. You know, yeah. he's in that top group of floor. I don't know if I'd say his ceiling is quite as high as maybe like a Jalen Sneed or a, a Drake Bowen, but man, the floor is really high and the ceiling is close. I feel much better about that. If you yeah. get Bradley Shaw, it's a typical Brian Kelly linebacker class, to be honest with you, pre-Marcus Freeman linebacker class. And that's the one thing coach can't allow to happen, Ryan, is he can't allow those positions to go back to what they were before. Safety's been an issue for years. I, I can't. I can't figure that one out, Ryan. I, I, I don't well, get I, it. I, it's it's been going on for years. Yeah. Mike Elko got got Kyle Hamilton. Outside of that, you know, he and he got Derek Hamilton. He got Derek Allen. Derek Allen ended up being a bust, but that was a big time pickup. Outside of that, safety recruiting for years has been weird. Not great, despite yeah. the success yeah. for the in, the in the NFL success. So I, I can't address that one. But. Man, yeah, it, it would be a disappointing class if you miss on those kids. It really would, because you would have missed out on your majority of your top targets now at almost every position on the defensive side of the ball, and that's not okay. Well, that's Bri- not okay. Bri- Brian, we're doing the thing that I always hate so much, right? We're going one side or the other. I'm seeing it, and I saw in the chat a few minutes ago that, oh, my, the, uh, recruiting has not improved under Marcus Freeman. I'm just like, that's come on, man. Nonsense. That's, not right. that's not true. All I'm saying this, is this is what bothers me. recruiting yeah. needs to be better in 2024. Safety recruiting needs to be better moving forward. Interior defensive line recruiting needs to be better moving forward. Doesn't right. mean that the, the, the full scope is not better. Like, that's ignorant. That's very ignorant in my opinion. It's yeah. not, that's not, and it's not truthful. It's just not truthful it, for me. It, it, I'm, I'm so tired of those. They're, they're very – Hmm, trying to say this without being disrespectful because I don't want to take a shot at anybody. It's very well, it's just wrong. I mean, and and the well, the, they ranked 12th. <laughs> this is what's so dumb about that. I'm sorry, there's just there's just no way to say it. You can sit there and say that Notre Dame's recruiting class finished 12th, and that doesn't really tell me anything. It, it really doesn't. Look, look at the look at the classes, you know, and that's the thing that kind of really gets on my nerves a little bit is when you hear that kind of stuff. Because I don't care where it ranked last year. You know, look, Notre, Notre Dame's class ranked 12th last year. It was basically on the same exact par as the class the previous year that finished 7th. The, the class the year before had had 22 commits and had 275 points and 91.82 ranking. It finished 7th. The 2023 class finished 12th. It had 272.79 points and a 91.78 ranking. And it finished 12th. Right. So what what are we doing here? What what well, are we doing also, here? We're also two years removed from Texas AM signing the greatest class ever, and that Correct. class ended up not being very good at Correct. all. So like let's stop with the rankings. And half please. those kids have, have left. So just yeah. to, to sit there, like we can here's what bothers me. We're all adults, I think, in this chat. And there's some young not adults in here. Welcome, man. We hope that you learn from the adults who do it the right way. We can sit here and say, This is a problem with Justin Scott. What drives me nuts are the people that jump in here and then just put that on everything. It's like we yeah. see what people do to linebacker. Maris had a bad year, so all the linebackers sucked. What? Like, what What film are you watching? You know what I mean? And then they'll completely ignore the fact, and I put this in the, in, in the, in a, the breakout article the other day. Do you know what J.D. Bertrand – I'm actually going to find that because I want to put the numbers were. But, like, do you know what J.D. Bertrand's numbers would have looked like 
if he would have if he would have played the whole season the way he did in the last six games, his numbers at the end of the year, Ryan, would have been 100 tackles, 14 tackles for loss, three sacks, and seven breakups. That's what he did the second half of the season when he finally got a hold of the defense. But just ignore that because I'm in my feelings about how bad Maris played last year, right? I'm in my feelings. I'm all emotional about them missing out on Justin Scott and the reasons for it, and you're okay to feel that way. It's a loss. Yeah. But to then just ignore a pre- oh, this is no different than Brian Kelly recruiting. That's nonsense. Because the three class, the two classes that Marcus Freeman has primarily put together, the 22 and 23 classes were like higher than all but the 2013 class of him, Brian Kelly's entire tenure at Notre just Dame. Emo- just over emotional is all. So it it's is, like, man. get out it's of your feelings. Emotional. And yeah. if you want, but here's the thing even if you use the rankings that you obsess over, yeah, the story's still the same. It's right. nonsense. It's absolute yeah. nonsense to have that opinion. And and so to me, if you want to be in your feelings and you want to be upset about this, I understand that. I look, I get it. I, I'm bummed about this recruitment too. But, but just but just be but just be upset about Justin Scott. Don't right. like don't like get, let it take over your full view of right. recruiting in general. That's the big thing. Yeah. That's that's the part. Like, oh, here's another example. Rivals last year ranked mm-hmm. Notre Dame's 23 class 11th. They had 2,504 points in a 3.83 recruiting ranking, right? Last, the 2022 class finished sixth. They had 24.81 total points, fewer, despite having more commits, and they had a lower per player average of 36.5. Brian Kelly's last recruiting class in 2021 that ranked eight, ninth, 23.78 points, over 100 below and 3.44 per player average. Brian Kelly's 2020 class had this is right 1975 points, so 600 about almost 600 points below and a 3.59 average. Brian Kelly's 2019 class on rivals, which ranked 14th, 2274 points, 3.55. So again, I could really do this all day. 2018 class finished 11th, 2,380 points, 3.44 per player average. 2017 Notre Dame class ranks uh, 13th, 2,144 points, 3.33. So please explain to me, oh, worshipers of recruiting rankings, how you can even use their own rankings and tell me that there's no difference between what Marcus Freeman is doing now and what they did before. Because what we're pissed about them doing now was a great class under Brian Kelly. Facts. If Brian Kelly would have signed the 23 class and, the, and had the 24 recruiting now, all the Brian Kelly stands that are now crying about Marcus Freeman, those are the classes you all used to get nuts over when Brian Kelly was the head coach here. Let's be real about that, Ryan, yeah. because that's yeah. how the bar was lowered. Marcus Freeman raised the bar, and now some other assistants aren't living up to that standard, and he's got to figure that out because he's the head coach. He's the head right. coach. He's responsible for it. But at the same time, even with those misses – Notre Dame is still on pace for a class in 2024 that is much better than just almost anything Brian Kelly did. Here, right now, if Notre Dame doesn't sign another recruit, they have 2,313 points according to rivals. That is more, let's go here, that's more than the 2021 class, right? That's more than, I believe, the 2020 class. Yep, that's more. That's three hundred some over three hundred points more than the twenty 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 class. I believe it's more than the twenty nineteen class. Yep, it's. Uh, let's see how it compares to the twenty eighteen class. It's almost at where the twenty eighteen class was. It's about set about fifty. What did I say, Ryan? Two two thousand twenty three hundred and thirteen. Yes. Yep. So it's about sixty seven points below the 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 class in two thousand eighteen which had 27 commits in it. 2017 class, it had 2,144 points. So it's higher than that class. 2016 class, that class for Notre Dame had 2,289 points. Another class that this class is already better than if it doesn't land another player in this class, 2,423. So the 2015 class was higher. That goes away if they get Gearby Lambert. That class also had four more kids. So it had 110 points more with four more commits in this class. So please explain to me how this recruiting is the same as it was before. 
Because you know what? Notre Dame's previous staff would have bowed out of the Justin Scott recruitment months ago. Months ago. They never would have even been in it. They wouldn't have gone after Kingston and Viliyama Oss as hard as they did because they said, hey, we're not going to get a kid from from Bosco. We're not even going to try. Right. So just if you're going to have a point of view, you can have it. All I ask is you actually have a way to defend it. And the fact is, is there's no, there's nothing beyond emotions to argue that that's accurate, Ryan. And I'm right. using the the rankings that I don't support. I'm, but, <laughs> that's but an the, example. The people yeah. making that, the, because the person making that argument right now in the chat is someone who obsesses over recruiting rankings. Sure. So even looking at the recruiting rankings, there's nothing to back up that point of view. Nothing. And I'm a big fan of, I don't know, facts. I know that's crazy nowadays, Ryan, but I kind of think they're still a cool thing. I don't know about you. They're okay sometimes. Except when they don't agree with what I want to. hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> I can't win an argument if you don't have the facts on your side. Exactly. <laughs> George Schreiber question. Who were your favorite targets for John Elway? Ricky Natil. What do you think would have happened had Elway had some elite receivers? McCaffrey seems to be the best I can remember. Rod Smith was probably the best. Yes, right? I was going to say yeah. that. Rod Smith, yeah. Ed McCaffrey was the bigger name. Easy Ed was good. He's a good player, man. He was a very good player, but uh, mm-hmm. but I, I would argue that Rod Smith is the best rec- uh, receiver. I would say the best pass catcher that he ever c- played with was Shannon Sharp. Yeah, Sharp was great. Yeah, yeah, he he was he was great as well. But I I would say um, I would say Rod Smith is the best receiver he ever played with. I mean, he had the three amigos back in the eighties. Ricky Nitiel had that great rookie year. He was yeah, never buddy. really did much after that. Ricky, people forget this. Ricky Natil scored a touchdown in the first play of the game in Super Bowl. What was it? Super Bowl twenty three, mm-hmm. uh, twenty two or twenty three. The one they played against the Redskins. Yeah, people forget this. The Broncos had a had a, a ten point lead at the end of the first quarter before the absolute mon- just atrocity of a second quarter. And and that, that was season. that was Doug Williams, right? That was that the was Doug, the Doug Williams. Williams. Yeah, Timmy Smith and yeah. Doug Williams went off. Doug, and, Doug Williams uh, got off to a little bit of a slow start, right? Didn't he get like made up a little bit in the first quarter? Yeah, he got uh, he got his yeah. like his leg rolled up on. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. um yeah, I mean it was 10 nothing. Elway threw a bomb on the first play of the game for like a 56 yard it was first play of the of the game for the Broncos. I, I think the I don't know if the Redskins like had a possession first, but it was the first play from scrimmage for the Broncos. Yeah. Uh, he he went off and and threw a great a great touchdown pass, the bomb to Ricky Natiel and got ten nothing and then just they were also winning, uh, uh uh the previous year they were up on the Giants ten to nine at halftime, yeah. and Rich Carlos missed a field goal right before halftime that could have extended the lead by four and it wouldn't have mattered and the Giants just steamrolled them in the second half, <laughs> but uh, yeah so in 1988 the year that they won their first Super Bowl. Uh, actually, no. Yeah, their first Super Bowl was in, uh, excuse me, 1997. Uh, the year they won their first Super Bowl, 1997, their leading receiver was Shannon Sharp, who had yeah. 72 catches for 1,100 yards, three touchdowns. Rod Smith was number two with 70 catches for 1,180. He had 12 touchdowns. Ed McCaffrey had 50 uh, catches, 45 catches for five, 590 yards and eight touchdowns. Now, the next year, in 1998, they had two thousand. They had two thousand receivers again, but it was actually uh, Rod Smith led him in catches and and yards and eighty with eighty six for twelve hundred yards. McCaffrey also went over a thousand. He had sixty four catches for a thousand fifty three yards, and then Shannon Sharp had sixty four catches for seven hundred sixty eight. And and McCaffrey and Shannon Sharp both had ten touchdowns. So I've always said like the first time Elway was actually surrounded by elite talent other than just him. Those teams were pretty yeah. flipping good, and. Uh, you, you know, know Ed so, McCaffrey is the uh, head coach of Northern Colorado now. I think you know he that? got let go. Oh, did he let go? Leave? Yeah, oh, I don't think he's there anymore. But yeah, he he was. He he was also the head coach at Valor Christian for a minute, which was a, a school out there that was kind of like the Colorado version of IMG for a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, he got let go. Things didn't things didn't go great at Northern Colorado. Well, he, he brought days. in the quarterback. What was the quarterback name Dylan? Right, that was at Michigan originally. Yeah, his, like his he brought son, him in. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, I don't they think he very, did very well. Yeah. <laughs> no, they weren't very yeah. good. But yeah, he was Eddie Mack was good. I, I'll never forget because I remember I remember this to the day I die, Ryan. I, I, the night because remember nine eleven. Well, you may not remember. You're little. Well, you might remember because it was I, close I to you. I'm sure you remember it. Yeah, yeah I remember 9/11. But uh, I remember watching the Broncos Giants on Monday Night Football the night before. 9-11 was on a Tuesday. Yeah, and I remember that was the game where Eddie McCaffrey's career got ended. He remember he got his leg broken in that game. And I remember just, man, feeling terrible the next morning. And then, of course, 
that the, happens, the world yeah. forever change, right? But um, yeah. now him and Elway were a really good combination. Now he had he had some big postseason catches, but here's the crazy thing: Ed McCaffrey will always be remembered. His biggest play in a Broncos uniform was a block, or his most memorable play was a block. Do you remember that in the Super Bowl when he threw that little mm-hmm. slide out to Howard? To, uh, I think it Howard Griffith, yeah. and Ed McCaffrey just lit Brian. It was Brian Williams, I think is who it was. I think just mm-hmm. lit that dude up and then pointed at him on his way down. <laughs> Have you ever seen that in that the ESPN? Yeah. Calvin was a big dude, thing? man. Some people he forget he's, he was like six five and like and he was so paranoid. Like he take out like all that he could of his pads so he could like because yeah. he was paranoid about how slow he was. He wasn't that slow. But yeah, Rod Smith was the best receiver. Vance Johnson was my favorite of the three amigos when I was a kid because he yeah. had some flash to him, but uh none of those guys were great players. And like they had Clarence K and Orson Mobley at running back or I mean tight end, Sammy Winder at running back. Like that one year of, of Bobby Humphrey, his rookie yeah. year was really good. And then after that, he never did anything again, but yeah, when he Rod finally Smith. got real. Yeah. Rod Smith to me is a, one of the most underrated receivers of all time. He was a tremendous, tremendous player. I, I, I've never seen a wide receiver when he, when he, makes the reception turn up the field as quick as Rod yes. Smith, man. Like he accelerated yes. out of his breaks. Like it was yep. nuts. Yeah. And and honestly, Rod's some of his best years were after Elway retired. Cause Rod was a rookie yeah. in 95. Uh, they won the Super Bowl together. The first Super Bowl, Ryan, his first thousand was his first thousand yard season. That was only his third year. He had one, two, three, four. He had six more thousand yard uh, receiving years after Elway retired, including two years. He went over hundred catches in 2000 and 2001. And I would argue when you can put up those kind of numbers with Brian Greasy as your starting quarterback, you're a pretty darn good receiver. I'm yes. sorry. You had Gus Farratt and Brian Greasy throwing him passes. You're a pretty darn good receiver if that's the case. So, Do, do you remember yeah. when Gus Farratt was on the Redskins and he um, headbutted the wall and knocked himself yeah. out? Remember that one? Yeah, that was great. Dra- <laughs> drafted the same year as Heath Shuler uh, uh, in the seventh round, who, who to me was one of the – you know, you always talk about how you meet really cool celebrities and – Famous people, and I remember meeting Brad Johnson. I was a, a camper at, um, I think it was Gus Parcell quarterback camp uh, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, and met Brad. Really nice guy, just nicest guy. Work was met He Shuler there, one of the biggest jerks I ever met <laughs> not in my life. That. Yeah, not like I remember, um, I met Stephen when I worked Art Monk's football camp. Met Stephen Davis. Remember him? Really good yeah. dude. Really good player. Uh, yeah. Busted my had me scared. I was thinking he was a jerk for a second. So I, I, I had these eight year olds, right? So what happened was yep. the Redskins players were late getting there. And so all my eight-year-olds had – because I was like a – you know, like I was in college. I was just there working the camp. I wasn't coaching the yeah. camp. I was like, you know, just just there kind of helping out. And so we would kind of have our little groups of kids. We had to make sure it got places. And I had eight-year-olds. Yeah. And so they were – those eight-year-olds are at camp to meet the Redskin players, not to go to football camp. You know what I mean? So, But they had yeah. to go to camp. And so they were all crying because they couldn't get their 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 football signed. So what I did was is when we got them on the bus, I went back into the their rooms. I got all their footballs. And I went and got – I was going to get the Redskins player to sign him. And I, and I went up to Stephen Davis, and he was messing with me. He's like, no, I'm not going to sign that. I'm a, you know, you're, you're going to sell them all. He was totally joking. He was just giving me a hard time. And I was like, dude, like seriously? But he was great. He took all the football, signed them. Um, Deion Sanders too, was man. there. He was yeah. really cool with the kids, you know, and uh, other Redskins. But, oh, here's – a remember June Cato? Cato June? Oh, stole my football stole my football preseason magazine. Still mad about that, Cato. I want my magazine back. So he's like, hey, can I look at that? Sure. And then never saw Cato again. You know what college Cato uh, June went to? Uh, Michigan. It's not surprised. Not surprised. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I'd go with Rod Smith. Uh, was the best player that he ever signed. But, yeah, um, he was really underrated player. Very, very underrated player. player. Liked yep. him very much. Stephen Davis is a nice, nice little um, shout too. I like Stephen Davis a yeah, lot. Yeah, but it was really player. that's nice. I mean, again, he was busting my chops, and then when you realize he's messing with me, it's actually then it's funny, and you like him even more because he's having some fun, you know. But uh, really nice guy, and stayed there for like the Redskins players weren't supposed to be there that long, and yeah. he stayed like way past the time he's supposed to in order to send all the autographs. And you know what else I thought was really cool? Art Monk. It was his camp, and most of these guys mm-hmm. who it's their camp, they come and they show up. He literally stayed in the dorms and stayed there the entire week around the kids. And so you, you see that his name's on it, but you know how it is, Ryan, with these guys. A lot yeah, of times, especially back in the up. day, but he was there the entire time, hung with the kids the entire time. And he mainly focused on like really being around the younger kids. That's cool. I, went way up in my respect book when I saw that. Cause I, I just, you're using your name, your fame for good. 
you know, and you're seeing, you know, what some, we don't hear a lot about this in the NFL, but that's one thing I've heard a lot more. You're seeing a lot more of these NFL players doing camps where they're actually like really there and involved and trying to go back. And we don't hear enough about Let one of these guys get a DUI and we're going to hear all about that. You know what I mean? We don't hear enough about that stuff and they are doing a lot of good in their communities. And, you know, and and, uh, I wish that we would focus on that more, but you're seeing that a lot more now. Of course, they're making money, but I don't care. Sure. Make money. You're making an impact in these kids' lives. They're gonna love. They're gonna have this memory of. I guarantee those little eight. I was moved by it, and I was a teenager. I guarantee those little eight-year-olds were completely moved by the fact that these NFL players spent time with them. You know, hundred percent. So if you're making money off of it, good for you. But they you're making this impact in people's lives, and I love that yeah. stuff. And I wish that we would do more as a media to to lift those stories up more than we do some of the craziness like about John Morant and all this other nonsense that we're we we always love to focus on and talk about because there's a lot oh, of, I had a buddy who played in the NFL and he said look 95 percent of the players in the NFL are just normal guys that love football yeah. yeah and we go home to our wives and our kids he's but all they ever want to talk about he's like is the five percent of the guys that act like idiots that's all they ever want to talk yeah. about and so there's this yeah. perception of we're all just these guys going to clay because most of our most of the guys didn't do all that stuff. Now, maybe it's different now. This is, you know, he's my age, but he's like, they'd always talk about this stuff. He played for the Chargers about how, the, you know, there's all these, he's like, he, like he hated, um, he hated any given Sunday. He's like, dude, that is not at all. He's like, <laughs> are there guys on our team that were like that? Yeah. It, but it'd be like, like five dudes doing those things. Like most of us were home with our kids and they made it seem like the whole team is at this party, just snorting Coke off hookers and stuff. It was crazy. He's like, that's not how the NFL is. There, the, the some upper echelon guys and some teams like the Cowboys had some craziness going on. But even then, those were just some of the stars. Most of the guys for the Cowboys were just dudes that just went home to their kids after the after yeah. practice was over. And but that's not the way it's portrayed because that's not as interesting. It doesn't sell as many stories and clicks and all that other crap. I, I didn't really like any given Sunday. I really liked the speech, but other than that, I'm not. I liked it, so. the football action because the point that I made to people was that's about as realistic as you're going to get. The heck, the crazy hectic of, of the way it is. Like if you want to have a yeah. mo- the, what's the most accurate pro- portrait of what's like actually being on the field, that yeah. was it. Because it is, it is football is crazy when you're down there, man. <laughs> uh, but the rest of the movie I thought sucked. I mean, they took yeah, every negative thing. stereotype about sports and put it into one movie, made it seem like that's the norm. <laughs> Yeah, they did. Yeah, I just, I hated it. I really hated it. It was lazy. You know what I mean? Like it just was easy. It's, it's easy. It's clicks. Anyway, yeah, (laughs) yeah. The the movie version of it. Yes, you're correct. A lot of people love that movie, though, Ryan. I'm gonna keep teasing you with this this question. A lot of people love that movie. I I did not like it at all. I I yeah, I wasn't a fan of it. Was not a fan of it myself. I'm gonna bring it up again, and I promise you this time I'm not taking it away. You've already probably got Wade's question memorized by now. <laughs> I actually I didn't even read it yet. Uh, Wade Garrett with the Super Chat. Thanks so much, Wade. I know kids from the 2024-25 class are used to help recruit other kids. Do current kids on the team also help recruit kids or alumni? Do they show up to camps to help talk to recruits? Absolutely. Uh, when Coach yeah. Free, when Coach Heastan was here, for example, I think there was one year it was like Martin, Stanley, McGlinchey, Q, I think last summer, I think they all came back yeah. and worked the camp. Hainsey, they all came back and worked the camp with Coach Eastan. Um, you'll see that stuff a lot. Yeah. Now, now, they don't do camps as much. Like, you'll have a guy come and speak. But, like, Jerome Bettis was around a lot for different events. Tim Brown is, will, will be around for certain things. So, yeah, the, they'll use those guys. But the, the problem for Notre Dame guys is, is because they're a national brand, they're, they don't stay around. So like, right. it's hard to like, and this isn't a shot at Ohio state, but like a lot of kids that went to Ohio state were from Ohio. So when they're done with their careers, they stay in Ohio. It's a lot easier for them to get in a car and you know, it's, so it's not a shot at them. It's just, they just happen to live there. Well, Notre Dame's recruiting kids from Texas and California and they're not staying in South Bend, Indiana, right. you know, like Tony Rice is one of the few that actually stayed around here. The only reason Reggie Brooks was around here is because he worked at Notre Dame. Like one, you know, then he, now he's in Texas now. Right. So it's just a little harder to get them back for all these different things, but but yeah, you and and you also saw them stay away during the Kelly era, partly because they weren't invited as much, and partly because a lot of them just didn't like Brian Kelly. But that's been something they get a, they the, the the alums I'm talking about, but the current players absolutely help recruit kids, and the best way they can do it is just by being honest, and that's the thing recruits care about that. Be honest, yep, yep. So yeah, 
Interesting. Good question. The next super chat, Tyler Evans. Thank you, Tyler. With San Diego State appearing, uh, sorry, staying in the Mountain West, what does that say about the Pac-12 conference and will it disappear? I'd have to hear more about that, Tyler, because my un- the, the only thing I've seen, Ryan, is that they basically, because of how long the Pac-12 negotiations are taking, they didn't they decided to go back to the Mountain West. That's about all that I've really seen. So I don't know enough about it. Maybe, Ryan, you can add more. I'd have to know, know more about the specifics of it, Tyler, and and also, you know, perhaps it was the Pac-12 that said, hey, thanks, but no thanks, yeah. uh, because maybe the deal they're getting isn't quite what they hoped, and it just is better to spread it around between 10 teams. Will the Pac-12 disappear? I think so, but Eventually, they'll do what yeah. they've always done. They'll go to the Pac-10. You know, I, th- I think that's their best chance of survival is to be smaller and then pay your teams more in that league and then hope that you can convince the remaining teams to stay. I just I, I just don't know if there's enough passion for football and college sports in, in the, on the West Coast outside of what, like Oregon. And Arizona tends to have pretty good fans when they're good. Like Cal doesn't have much of a fan base. Stanford doesn't have much of a fan base. You know what I mean? It's just – once you lost the LA teams, Ryan, it's it's hard for me to imagine them surviving. It really is. And the Big 12 has a pretty good TV deal that might allow them to um to maybe go poach them. But that's the other thing. The Big 12 just re-up their deal. So are they yeah. gonna have to renegotiate if they add more? There's so much in play here. Uh it it's it's hard to keep up with it a lot of the time. It really is. It is. It's kind of a shame too, because it's kind of stealing the headlines away from the fact that. The Pac-12 is going to be a really interesting and I think very competitive conference in 2023. I mean, you talk about Oregon and USC and Washington and Washington State and UCLA and one of the Arizona teams maybe taking a step forward. Like, I think that I think the Pac-12 is actually going to be a really sneaky good conference in 2023. All we're talking about is alignments, you know. Yeah, because even if you take out the two teams that are leaving. Oregon's got a shot to contend for that title this year. Washington does. Utah's the reigning two-time reigning Pac-12, you know, back-to-back Pac-12 champs. Yep. Really like what Oregon State's doing. Washington, you've mentioned yep. Washington State as a sleeper team. I think when we did a, something, was it you that said yep. last week when we were doing mm-hmm. like sleeper teams? I thought, I thought so. Yeah. In yep. the mailbag, and uh, I like what they're doing there. Arizona State. I mean, look, I think Kenny Dillingham got hired a year too early to be a head coach. But yeah. he's a pretty good offensive mind. He, he's I wasn't a hugely huge fan of him at Memphis, but he's he's sold me. He's done a really nice job. Uh, I think Judd Fish has done a really nice job at Arizona. They're they're going to be better this year. So uh, there's there's some there's going to be some competitiveness in that league even outside of the two teams that are leaving. Right? I mean, I could see a lot of upsets, and it's almost like they hurt themselves because of how deep they are. Because it, it yeah. pretty much it, it's going to make it really hard for any of those teams to to get to the playoff. Because they're just they annihilate each other, right? Like they just beat each other. USC could go out and beat Washington and Oregon. I'm I can't even remember if they play those teams. And then in Utah, and then go get beat by Washington State or Oregon State. I mean, that's just the way that the league is. And and um, it's a fun league to watch. I mean, I know I don't stay up that late to watch. We this year you should because yeah, there's going to be do. some really good games on at ten o'clock this year in the in the Pac-12 because there's some quality football teams in that league. And it's going to be a fun league to watch. And you know what's been a big part of it, Ryan? They've upgraded the coaching in a big way yep. the last couple of years. I mean, you went from Clay Helton to Lincoln Riley. You went from whoever was at UCLA, Jim Moore, all the, Carl Durrell <laughs> to, to Brian Kelly. I'm Excuse me, Chip Kelly. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Smith has been a great hire as alma mater. Kalen DeBoer's turned out to be, at least so far, a really strong hire. Dan Lanning is – I don't. I still don't know what kind of coach Dan Lanning is. Guys recruiting his butt off. There's no doubt Truth. about that. Uh, yep. Judd Fish is doing a really nice job there. Definitely an upgrade over Mike Price and all, you know, or was it um, Mike Stoops and some of those other guys they've hired true. in recent years. So the the the, the coaching is certainly upgraded, and, and even even the guy at Cal, Brian, he's a good football coach. He's just Justin stuck in a place that just doesn't give a rip about football right now. Yeah, you know, and and um, I, I losing David Shaw stung. But from what I've learned about Troy Taylor so far, that's a good hire. Troy Taylor, right? I get that. Troy Taylor. Yep. Yeah. I like the hire so far. I mean, like he's recruiting. They're putting a really sneaky, good recruiting class together. They've already got 27. Think about this. Stanford already has 27 commitments. It's wild. And there's man. some quality players in there. So 
I think the coaching is up is upgraded. It just nobody talks about it because ESPN says like, well, you know, nobody talks about the Pac-12. Well, whose fault is that? Yours. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you're the ones that need to talk about it more. You know, like you're the you're the big dog. But uh, I agree with you, Ryan. It's going to be a fun league this year. I think the Big yep. Twelve was was that league for a long time. I'm not as sold on the Big Twelve depth wise this year. As I as the Pac-12 is like the new Big 12, where there's like six or seven or eight teams that just could beat any other team in that league on any given Saturday, and I enjoy that. That that to me is what I want to see. I don't want to see two three teams just dominating the league. I want to mm-hmm. see where every game matters because man, you just survived that gauntlet against USC, Washington, and Oregon, and then you 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 get you then you get tripped up by Oregon State or Washington State or Arizona. That's that's good football right there, Ryan. And um, yeah. Agree. I'm going to be paying attention. That's for darn sure. That's for darn sure. We'll be paying attention to ESPN moving forward, but no. it's, uh... <laughs> no. well, except watching the games. That's for darn sure. Yeah. From Ethan Rao. Is how you pronounce that? Rao? I just say Rao. I'm not sure if that's correct Rao. or not. Ethan, if that is incorrect, if you could just throw it in the chat, I would appreciate it. Uh, love the show, guys, and always enjoy the fact you don't overreact and get too emotional about things when something unfortunate happens in recruiting. I mean, I would get burnt out if I overreacted oh like gosh. some of the chat does, right? <laughs> like, I would absolutely get – because, right. Ethan, I think the tough part is – and this is honesty – is that I am a fan of Notre Dame, right? So when yeah. something doesn't go right, it stings, right? It does. But if every time something negative happens, I, it just, like, killed me. If, if I if I lost sleep every single night and couldn't get myself to sleep, like, uh, I would be burnt out of this job at this point, It's a, right? it's a double-edged sword, right, Ryan, for us, yeah. because the passion for it is why you're here. It's why in the middle of a day, two hours and 20 minutes into a show, we're still around 600 people in the show, right? And I love that. I do. I love the passion. It's just sometimes it's like we need to take a deep breath and right. – um realize like that reaction is not healthy for you. Yes. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you can't, I was pissed when, when, when I, you know, sure. when you, even, and I knew that if he committed right now, he wasn't picking Notre Dame and I was still pissed about it. But, um, you know, I, I just, I, I it, and it drives me nuts too, because some people it's like, no matter how much you prove their point of view wrong, no matter how much you prove the flaw of ranking systems, they'll just, they refuse to get off it. And I don't know why it like, it gives them solace being able to find. It's like some people, I just feel like you're not happy unless you're miserable. There are some people like that. It's like, dude, you, you never talk. You're yeah. never in the chat, like talking about how you're happy about something. Notre Dame gets a commitment and you're complaining about, you know, what they didn't get or well, what's next and that kind of thing. And it's like, can you just let me for like five minutes, just five minutes. Let me enjoy this one for five minutes. And then All we right. can talk about something else. Brian, it was like the Tabron Benny Powell thing, right? Like everyone's freaking out. I'm just like, guys, you know, we just got Logan Thomas and Nate Roberts and just right. are about to get Bronte Johnson, right? Like, I understand you don't like right. this one recruitment, but like and, there are other really good ones around. And it. it's okay to not be happy about this one. It's okay. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the jumping off the cliff when something bad happens. You know, right. it's like, oh, this didn't happen. Well, fire this guy and fire that guy. And this guy sucks and the whole class sucks. And it's no different to Brian Kelly when in reality, it's so easy for me to disprove that. It, it's just like, but yet I guarantee you the main guy that I was going at on that response, I promise you, didn't make a dent. Didn't make a single dent. Won't change his opinion at all. I threw a bunch of numbers and facts out there. Won't change his opinion at all. Not even a bit. That's probably the most frustrating thing, to be completely honest with you. Is that right there? But it is what it is. At the end of the day, Ryan, the results in the field are going to be what matter. And yeah. if those don't get better, then that that point of view is supported. They've got to go out and start putting a better product in the field. It's just, it really is as simple as that. It, it it really is. They they got to do a better job.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.